We're starting a new series called The Messenger, and it is it's the second week in the series, and it's a study of the book of Malachi. Malachi is a minor prophet from the Old Testament, right? And so it's the last book before we get into the New Testament revelation of Jesus Christ, and it's a culmination of, and it, it's kind of like, I don't know what you'd say, like the punctuation in the Christian order of the canon of Scripture that would kind of bring the Old Testament to a pause. I won't say a close, but a pause. It's maybe like an ellipse or a, a dash. We're not sure what's next when we come into Malachi. The prophets have been speaking all this time, but last week we talked about this. We talked about some of Malachi's compatriots, but I want to remind you of a few things in case you didn't get to check it out or to be with us, I should say. Uh, the first thing we heard is that this word from Malachi is a hard word, right? I know many times we read the Bible, we want to be comforted by the Bible, but, but Malachi is, is a, a prophet who's speaking to God's people things that God needs people to hear. And we talked last week about would you want to hear from God if it was going to be a burden or a hard word? And that's what Malachi says that it is, a hard word from Yahweh through Malachi. We know that we find Israel in the middle of this doubting God's love. Like, that's remarkable. After you get to, who would think when you get to the end of the Old Testament, you would have the Jewish people doubting God's love for them? And so that, that's where we find Malachi and God's kind of conversation with uh, his people. You know, do you not see how I'm loving you? And we talked about what that means last week as well. And then the last thing we ended on last week was that God will be magnified beyond Israel. Like, that the God, there's something's going to happen that's bigger than what you think it is. What we want to do when we study the word is we want to think about it kind of in a few contexts. We want to think about what it meant to those who were hearing it for the first time. So we're trying, and it's going to be hard, but to put ourselves in the Jewish context of hearing this word with them from the Lord. Then we're going to think about like how it applies to uh, you know, people in their lives and, and structures we create or whatever. But then there's a third, and this is where the rubber meets the road in so many ways, is well, how does it apply in my life, Right? It's too easy to examine other people's lives. You ever have people like that? Well, you can fix everyone else's problems, but you can't fix your own. That's kind of how I am, right? So we want to think about it at the end, and what does it mean for us, this word through Malachi, this hard, this burden word from Yahweh? So we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We're going to be going line by line, and you might, and by the way, if you've been reading the book of Malachi, praise God. And if you haven't been, I would encourage you to read it. You can literally, I think, listen to it in like 15, 20 minutes. I mean, it's, it's like on repeat, right? It goes fast. And so if you have 15 or 20 minutes to give to listen to the entire book in, 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 its, in its entirety, I would encourage you to do that. But we're going to pick up right where we left off. We're going to spend some time in the series kind of slow walking through this text and seeing what God has for us in it. We're going to pick up in verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6. This is what the word says. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priest, who show contempt for my name. But you asked, how have we shown contempt for your name? You placed defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, or is that not wrong? Or when you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now implore God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, he will, will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. 
I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from the rising to the setting sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Verse 12, but you profane it by saying the Lord's table is defiled and of its food, it's contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among all the nations. Pray with me, and then we'll get into God's word today. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to learn from you. We pray, Lord, that you would be our instructor this morning, that your Holy Spirit would teach us in our innermost being. And Lord, we, we want to know you so that we can live out our life with you from the inside out where we, we don't really want external regulations imposed on us, but rather we want to understand who you are. And that requires you to teach us. So this morning, wherever we are, would you be with us? And Lord, whatever's going on in our lives, the circumstances that we would think, well, well how is this relevant? Lord, I'm gonna ask that you would teach the relevance of your word to our current circumstances in ways that would change our attitude toward life. Would you help us to see the way you see? Would you help us to understand a little bit more the way you understand? And indeed, Father, would you help us to know your purpose in this world? We need you to do that. We ask that prayer in full faith in the ability and power of Jesus Christ, and we pray in his name. Amen. So Malachi kind of continues with this hard word after they're not recognizing God's love. And one of the things that's uh, interesting, and maybe you heard it in there, have you ever heard somebody say, that's good enough? That's good enough, right? You, you ever had a, a project? You know, one of the funny things about this whole situation has been so many of us say, we have nothing to do. We've been stuck home all day. And then I talk to people and they're like, I'm so tired of doing the things that I don't want to do all day, <laughs> right? Someone said, I have a, a list of projects I've not been able to get to for years and now I have time to get to them. I don't want to do them. <laughs> I don't want to do them. Is that like, are you like me in that way? Like the only things that we have to do are things that we don't want to do. That's good enough, isn't it? I don't have to fix that. I don't have to perfect this. I remember um, years ago, we were working on our house. We were putting a new roof on it. And we had some family members who were professional construction guys, right? And they came out and they blessed us by helping us put a roof on our house. And so they're out there. And these guys know, I mean, I had a tool belt. You know, I had like the brand new tags on it, tool belt, right? And the shiny hammer and all that. But these dudes had like worn tools, worn boots, you know, and all this. And they're walking around. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. So I kept saying, well, now, how do we get this right? How do we get that right? And they started saying something to me, which was hilarious. This has got to be 20-something years ago. They said, uh, it's good enough for who it's for. That's what they told me. It's good enough for who it's for. I'd say, yeah, but it's off on intro over here. Ah, it's good enough for who it's for. And it was kind of a chide because they're a family, right? And it's like, it's good enough for you. I mean, if it was on a professional job, we probably wouldn't let that slide. But out here, ah, it's good enough. Good enough for you. Are there things in your life that are like that? You're like, ah, that's good enough. That's good enough. It don't have to be perfect. We don't have to spend that much more time on it. It's got to move on. 
Good enough for who it's for. That was one of those things. And what's funny, I tell you that story now 20 years later because it stuck in my mind. And when I'm helping out my kids with something or my neighbors with something, I'll make that joke all the time with people. Like, some little, I'm like, ah, it's good enough for who it's for because it's kind of funny to say it, right? I mean, who are we to expect perfection? I was getting free labor. Who am I to ask for better help than that? I had help beyond what I deserved. It was definitely good enough for who it was for. Well, Malachi, if you heard it in there, kind of gets into this idea of sacrifices and what's pleasing to God. And, and, and God begins to make some accusations against Israel about their habits and sacrifices. I want you to look with me with verse, verse 6. This is what the word says. The son honors his father and a servant his master. If I'm a father, where is the honor due me? Or if I'm a master, where is the respect due me? He kind of asks these questions of Israel, right? He puts himself in two positions, and I want us to see this this morning, as a father, which I always think is funny because you wonder, like, you remember what a controversy was when Jesus said, my heavenly father, and the, the, everyone was freaked out. Why are you calling God your father? But here's God self-referring through Malachi to being a father. If I'm a father, where does the honor do me? And then he says, the second one is, I see myself as a master or a lord. And if I'm the lord or master, where's the respect do me? It's interesting because both of those things are due to him because of his right position. As a matter of fact, I'll remind you that in Exodus, Israel was taught to honor your father and mother. I think that's in Exodus 20, 12, right? Honor your father and mother. One of the commands that God gave to his people about our earthly parents, let alone our heavenly father. But God asks that question, and you can hear in the pleading, he's not getting the honor and respect that's due him. Where is my honor? Where is my glory? God has some questions for Israel. We talked a little bit about what this honor of the king, right? We just kind of, it's kind of funny. The Bible just continues to knit this, knit this narrative together as we learn together. But this idea of, of, of honor is to give weight, a proper understanding, a proper response. Being rich or being respected or heavy or hard or distinguished, different. It's something that you run into that's worth it, right? And God's like, if I'm your father, why am I not worth it to you? Or if I'm your master, why am I not worth it to you? As a matter of fact, whenever he says, I'm father and master, he's due honor. But he even goes further with master and says, I'm due respect. You see, honor is like glory and splendor and worship and praise and the things that he's due every day of our lives. But if he's our master, is he not do our reverence, our awe, our fear, and this might freak you out, our terror? You know, he's asking the question of, do you understand how holy I am? I'm your father, but I'm, I'm your master. I'm your Lord. And, and what's incredible to me is we might think, well, how could they forget that? But how do we? I've said to you before, the, in the Malachi, every time the word says Lord, L-O-R-D, it's Yahweh, the one who spoke the universe into existence. And we have a tendency to treat him like, eh, whatever, right? And he's going to take Israel to task, and I think, church, maybe take us to task on the, on, on the way, what we offer to him, the way we respond to him. But here's my question, first question this morning. Do you honor and respect God in your life? And that's a question, if I ask it, I bet everyone say, of course I do. But then I start to look at my life, and I'm like, do I? Do I honor him? Well, yeah, yeah, I, I praise God every day. I, I, yes, 
you know, I, I worship God. I, I find, I spend time in prayer and I, I thank God for what he's, you know, praise God if we do those things. But do we respect him? Do we tremble in fear? You know, I'm amazed. You might say, well, you know, I don't be afraid of God. He's my friend. I, I get it, man, but he's still God, right? Like, is there a little bit of like fear and trepidation when we come into his presence? Do we have some awe or some reverence for who he is? Do we even, and this is the thing, right? Like, even when we pray, do we pray in a way that we recognize his holiness? Because he's too often, I just go, I've been feeling this lately. Maybe you're not like me. We just go, hey, let's pray before we eat, you know, and they'll, you know, or, hey, let's pray before we gather. Let's pray before we make a decision. And it begins to feel perfunctory. Listen to me. As if we're not speaking to the holy God of the universe. Maybe this morning we prayed. We didn't even stop in awe and reverence of who God is. Of the one we're speaking to. He says, if I'm your father, where's my honor? If I'm your master, where's my respect? I don't know if you feel that with me, but I could feel it with Israel. I think I feel that. I'm like, oh. And he's going to get into specifics then about how he's worshipped. Look at the second part of verse 6. O priests who show contempt for my name. Now he's going to get into a didactic teaching. And we talked about that last week. That's when he said, you know, how have you loved us, right? He's asking the question. He's going to answer the question. And he's going to walk through. I'm going to run through the didactic real quick so we can see it. And then we're going to talk about it in context here. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? And the answers, you place defiled food on my altar. And then look at the response in the didactic. But how have we defiled you? I mean, they've almost admitted that, right? And then he says, by saying that the Lord's table is contemptible, when you bring blind animals to sacrifice, is that not wrong? Or whenever you bring crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? And then he makes the point, try offering them to your governor, right? To your local representative. Would they be pleased with you? Should he accept you? There's a didactic, right? So well, how, what, have we, what have we done? How have we, you know, what's the word say? How have we had contempt? Well, you've offered defiled food. How have we defiled you, though? They don't even see the connection between what they're offering to God and what they see in God himself. They just disconnected it all. Well, this is just worship, but you are God. This is just this thing, but you're, and they weren't even connecting it. The real sacrifice to the real God. And he brings it right down to their level. What about your local governor? Would they be pleased with this offering? Would they be satisfied with what you're doing? Oh, priests, though it starts. And I thought, well, there's your escape hatch, church. It's for the priests of Israel. It's not for us. He's not mad at us and what we offer him. He's mad at them, what they offer him. They're, oh, yes, those old priests, their sacrifices. Oh, right, God? It's terrible, isn't it? But it doesn't involve me, right? Does it? I want us to look at the old priest's command. It's going to come up next week as well. And then the rest of the book, I believe, in three different contexts. One, yes, it was written to Israel, the priests of Israel, the sacrificial offerings of the temple. And, and it's going to get, it got today, and it's, it's, it's just going to get harder as God talks about these sacrifices the priests are making. Well, then the second is, you go, well, but I'm not a priest, but maybe you are, Bill. Maybe I am. Maybe the pastors are. Maybe the religious leaders, maybe the elders, maybe they're the ones. They, oh, they should be careful what they offer to God. That's the second layer I want to look at. Yeah, I get it. You know, the scripture is filled with warnings. Be careful when you dare to step up in front of God's people and teach. You'll be judged more harshly. So you have the priests and the Israelites. You have the, you have the priests, or the, the, now the religious leaders, we won't call ourselves priests, but the religious leaders of our day, 
But guess what? We believe in something called the priesthood of all believers. If you believe in Jesus Christ, it means you're anointed by him to do his work. That means you are part of the body of God, that there's no separation between us and God. There's no differentiation between me and you either. And then we begin to read this text as a believer in Christ and say, okay, how am I maybe offering ritual sacrifice where I don't connect it at all to who you are? And that would include all of us. So I want us to keep in mind those three things, the Jewish priests, the ministers of the gospel, and then the priests of all believers, because we are all called, and I'll make a case for that in a moment later on, but we're all called to do it. Notice the failings, though. First of all, a didactic, he says, you despise my name. If you look at what he's saying, he's like, you, you have shown contempt for my name, is his accusation against Israel. It's not just the processes and the applications, but it's me. Whenever you come against the temple, whenever you don't recognize me in your sacrificial offerings, you despise my name. The second thing that he accuses him of is he says, you offer defiled or stained food on my altar. Like, you're not even worried about what you're, you're, you're desecrating the altar, God says to his people. And then the third accusation is this, you say the table of Yahweh is contemptible, so not only do you desecrate it, but then you turn around and you say to God, and it's God's fault is desecrated. And then the fourth thing is you don't even offer your best. And that comes when he says you offer the blind and the lame for sacrifice and the crippled and diseased. And you, you don't even give your best. We're gonna talk about, because that's a really interesting thing, right? Like why is God mad at crippled animals? Why, why, why is that a thing? Why does God care about the quality of the animal you sacrificed to him? Why does he care about the quality of the offering you make to him? He asked the question, uh, think about your own governor. Would he accept you if you acted this way toward him? Would he be pleased with you, it says in verse eight, if, these, if this is the way you responded to him? You ever had that moment where you're like getting your place ready for somebody important to come over? You know, like somebody's coming, get ready. You start cleaning everything up. And maybe you have like somebody that's over all the time, you're like, ah, it's fine. Just Bob. Come on in, Bob. Don't worry about it. But there are people that come and we're like, don't let them go in that part of our house. You know, you shovel us up in the closet. Don't open that closet, please. Getting ready for someone who is worthy, who is holy, who is different. Will he accept the offering we make? I, I, have, a, I have a question for you. Um, are we offering God our best first? See, there's this conversation here about what's being offered, and we're going to come back to it because he's going to come back to it, so we're going to come back to it, right? But what is it about the blind and the lame animals, the diseased animals that's so offensive to God? And I think the question being begged there is, why aren't you offering your best to God? And not only are, 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 why, don't you offer, why don't we offer our best to God, but why don't we do that the first thing, you know? Why don't we try iterative, like, well, is this good enough? Is this good enough? Okay, is this good enough? Why don't we just start right out with offering our very best to God right out of the gate? Do you do that in your life? Do you offer God your best first? Do you recognize who he is? I remember a, uh, a story uh, from my, my church days where we were cleaning out. We had a church cleaning day. <clears throat> Maybe this happens in, in your home as well, then you know, just tell the story. But we're cleaning out the cupboard, and someone's like, oh my gosh, this is so old. 
how long has this been in here? And there was this big conversation amongst all the people. I don't know how long it's been in here. Oof. Do, should we serve it to people? We probably shouldn't serve it at church. You know, do you want to take it home and give it to your, I don't want to give it to my family. No. Well, let's just throw it away. Well, don't throw it away. And then someone said, maybe the food pantry could use it. And, and someone else was like, if you wouldn't feed it to your kids, why are you going to give it to the pantry? By the way, let me just take a moment and talk about how blessed the pantry is. The pantry is ready to serve right now in Highland. Our, our leadership there has been so awesome. Not me and mine, but others, leader, the leaders we have in place there have been so awesome. And we are prepared to serve the community. But, um, so, but then praise God. But it was a funny story, right? Like, and one of the jobs at the pantry is they got to go through and they got to throw out all the food that they can't even give people. What is it about us as believers that we would say, well, it's not good enough for me, but it's good enough for them. I'll give it to them. Or how about this? I was talking to a young couple about budgeting in their life. I mean, my financial budgeting, right? And I said, oh, yeah, there's a threefold strategy to, to budgeting well. You want to give, you want to save, you want to spend. That's the structure. Super simple. And I go, the important thing is priorities are, though. You want to give first, you want to save second, you want to spend third. That's how you get into a healthy financial situation. And uh, they were stunned. And they're like, wait, wait, wait. Shouldn't I spend first, save some, and then give what's left? I'm like, that's exactly what we all think, Right? But there's a prioritization of what we do that matters. Now, I don't want to talk about financial things this morning, but spiritual things. When you offer the things to God spiritually from your life, when you offer your time or your presence, your attention, does he get what's left over at the end? Is it like, I'm going to go out and have all the fun I can have on World Day weekend, and then I'm going to, you know, do a little resting for myself, and then I'm going to have a little bit of time for God? And I'm not picking on anybody, but shouldn't we flip that model around and say, I'm going to give God my first, my best. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend my time focusing there first, and then I'm going to have some for myself, and then I'm going to go do the rest of my life. Because what's going to happen is all that category, that last one, is going to happen anyway. We're going to meet all those obligations. But the danger is, church, and I hope you can hear this this morning, the danger is that if we have a tendency to not put God first, he, we won't put him anywhere at all. He ends up at the bottom of our list. And you would wonder, well, what does God think of that? I get everything that's left over? I remember one time I was working as a mover, and uh, the, the family were moving. Uh, they were very well off, and, and they had a meal. And then after the meal, their kid, they ate, and then they had their kids. Hey, kids, come get some of this food. And after the kids, and we'd been working and sweating, and then they came and they said, hey, we have some leftover food if you want it. I don't think I've ever been quite so insulted on a job site before. One of the drivers like, I don't want your leftover food. And we were just like laborers. How does God feel about that? Give him the rest. You can have the rest, God, when I'm done with all of it. You can have what's left. You want to know how God feels about it? Look at verse 10. And this is one of those texts, church, that just stuns me. Stuns me. Verse 10. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. By the way, let's just remember that Almighty means Lord of hosts, Lord of the army, Lord of the ability, Lord that commands angels and legions. He, he wants for nothing. We're not going to make him rich by making the right offering to him. He sends out his messengers all throughout the world to bless his people and guide his people and love his people and fight for his people. And he says, just, just shut it down. Just stop. I mean, you've got to think about that in context. He set up the whole system. 
He says, bring me your firstborn male and bring me the best of your flock as, a, as an honor to me. And then in verse 10, he's like, just one of you would have the courage to just shut the doors of the temple and say, no more sacrifices because you're bringing garbage in here. We've forgotten. I reminded you last week, you know, this is Jerusalem being rebuilt. This is the temple being rebuilt. This is worship beginning. This is like outbreak, right? Like, like holy uh, uh, revival. And God's like, you just got to stop. Just stop. Oh, that you would close the temple doors so that you would not light. What's the word say? Useless fires on my altar. What does the word say? It's not doing anything. There's of no effect. The way you bring me your leftover stuff has no effect. It's not honoring to me. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts. Look at the rest of verse 10. And I will not accept offerings from your hands. Like, can you think of something more useless? And God just said, just, just don't even bring it. Stay home. Why would he respond that way? You're going to turn in verse 11 like we did last week. Why? Because my name will be great among the nations. He's talking to his people who, if anyone's going to recognize and worship him, and let me tell you something, church, and I feel this in my bones. If I was there at that time with those people, I would say, these people are way holier than I am. They're doing all the right things. And God's not pleased. My name will be great among the nations. From the rising to the setting of the sun is what he promises. That sounds exactly like verse 5. You will see it with your eyes and you will say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. That's in verse 5. I will be great. My name will be revered. From the rising to the setting sun, I will be honored. Can you imagine, though, God saying that in our lives. Stop. Just stop. I, I, I'll be really honest. That's one of those fears I have when I think about God. You know, I've been praying and working and thinking and, you know, just praying that he would help me to honor him, and then he was like, just stop. Just, Bill, just stop. Stop it. Can you imagine that? Why? Because God's name will be great. Where? From the rising to the setting sun. I love that. From the rising to the setting sun, his name will be great. You know, you think, this is what I was thinking at first, in the context, right? From where you see the sun rise, where are we at here? This way, right? This way, west. Is that right? No, this way. Yes, this way. So it's like, so you're Israel and you're under, and you say, oh, God's going to be honored way over there where the sun rises, and then it comes over, and then he's going to be honored way over there where the sun sets, right? But I'm stunned as you think about what we know about our earth and the way it works. It's spinning around. I remember one time we were on a trip, and we were heading out west. We were coming out of the mountains, and we, we did a thing called chasing the sun. And we rode and rode and rode and rode into the sunset. And the more we rode, the, 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 it, like it wasn't going down. What this effectively means is it's from the east to the west, God will be honored. It's all day, every day, and indeed it's everywhere. I was thinking about this. When is God honored? When it's daylight? Where is it not daylight on the earth? As the earth rotates around, he's being, it's like a wave. You ever seen that at the stadium? The wave goes around, woo! Like, that's how it is. Like, I'm going to be honored everywhere, Israel. And from their perspective, where they stood, it's going to be like, oh, yeah, from over there to over there. And he's like, oh, you have no idea. 
You had no idea. There's a wave going ahead of where I'm going to be honored by all the nations. And there's a wave that's going to be coming around. It's going to catch you by surprise because it's going to, it's just wild to me. The east to the west, the rising to the setting sun. What? My name will be great among the Gentiles. And he goes on to say this, and I will receive um, uh, smoke, uh, um, incense offerings, smoke offerings, and I will receive uh, pure offerings. Look at what it says in verse 11. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name. That's future fact for God speaking to Israel. Why? Because my name will be great among all peoples. This is one of those things that you, always, you might ask, well, why do, we, why do we bother with world missions? Why do we bother sharing our faith with those who don't believe? Why do we bother even, you know, just, just believe and stay home and you're fine? And he's like, no, I'm gonna be known among all the nations. And if you're not awake to that, you're not alive to that, you're missing what God is doing in the world. He's making himself known. He's glorifying himself. And what I love is in spite of what Israel is saying, not only, you know, they're not seeing him loving them, but they don't even see the greatness of who he is beyond Israel. It's a fact. I will make my name great among the nations. Well, that's good. So praise God. That's good. It comes right back at us in verse 12. You know, you feel that kind of avid flow of the text. Here it comes right back. But you profane my name by saying the, of the Lord's table is defiled and of his food it is contemptible. And this is what I'm going to spend a little time on right here. And then you cry out, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. This is striking to me because it reminds me of how often uh, we fall into that same. Well, two things there. First of all, I want to point out that he, he says, um, let's look at the text here. Yeah, you say, what a burden. What a drag. This is so hard. Been coming to the temple my whole life. My parents have been coming to the temple their whole lives. <coughs> and we're, we're so tired of it. Like, we're just wore out from it. How much longer do we have to do it? This kind of, oh, woe is me. How, how long must we suffer? And I only identify with it because I feel it in my own life, right? Well, the drudgery of work. By the way, there's a whole thing on work right now. I've been just really praying through. But, oh, the drudgery. Oh, the, the sacrifice I have to make for, you know, for you. And, well, how long does this go on? How long? And we start to sound all over the Bible. You hear this. This is what Solomon said, right? The drudgery of life. But probably more subtle and maybe, maybe even worse is that second part. You say, what a burden with your mouth. But you sniff at it. What is it? The table, the Lord's name, contemptuously. It's like, I'm like, what does that mean to sniff at it contemptuously? And it's like, <laughs> right? Or it's like, <sighs> like, you know, as a parent, you have that minute, you tell your kid, hey, will you do something? They're like, yeah. Like, as a parent, sometimes you think that's funny, sometimes you think that's really annoying. But imagine that the parent's God and we're his people going, <sighs> Sure. And we walk off. You sniff. It's so, listen, it's so dismissive of him. Psh. <laughs> sure. Uh. 
Listen, like it's such a drag. I want to remind you, did I not love Jacob, God said. You're my chosen people. You're the one I've been causing to survive, and in the middle of all this, you're scoffing at me? You're the ones. Listen to me, church. I feel that. Scoff at the Lord. Oh, this again? We've done this a thousand times. Let me ask a question about this. How have you profaned, or how have we profaned God's name with our attitudes? How have we profaned God's name, his holy name, with our attitudes in this life? Thinking about church again? You gotta go to church again? Are you serious? Go to church every week. Or maybe serving? I don't want to serve. Well, you know, I've been serving for years. Who's going to serve me? I'm tired of serving. Someone else serve for a while. Let's do some tag team. Or, or, or um, like, why does it have to be my stuff? It's give, give, give. It's always me. It's the same people all the time giving. Why wasn't Susie give? Why doesn't Bob give? Sorry, Bob and Susie. I know. I know you do. How do we do that in our lives really practically with God? How do we walk with him, listen to me, with God in heaven and Jesus Christ his son and then we scoff at his altar that we, we contemptuously think of his name. We kind of go, oh, whatever. Man, I'm so tired. It's bo- boring. Oh, I'm over it. I want something new adventure. I'm going to go do some other thing. And then maybe if there's some space left. I heard someone talking this last week and they go, they were not a believer. And they said, church is so stupid because you got to go every week like you don't understand. I get it. Jesus died for my sins. Let me go about my life. That's what the guy said. He's not believing. I'm like, then you obviously don't understand. <laughs> Do we scoff at it? Take it for granted? Go, ah, whatever. That's so old school, man. We're new school here. We get it. Now let me alone. Let me live my life. Gets back into offerings then. Verse 13. You sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord of hosts. When you bring injured, crippled, diseased animals and you offer them as sacrifices, here he asks a question, should I accept them from your hands? Should I accept those? I told her to come back around to that. Ask the Lord. And then in verse 14 he defines it. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then he sacrifices a burdened, uh, a, a, um, a blemished animal instead. I was like, what's that all about? The word reads like this. You bring your stolen animals. They aren't even yours. Or you bring your lame ones or your sick ones. You know what the word lame means? It means the one you step over in the field. Like they aren't the ones that follow you along. You know what this looks like? And I was really thinking like, what is God's problem? You know, because it's an efficiency issue, right? Like if I'm gonna offer God something, there's already one that's dying anyway. Let's just kill that one. I don't wanna bring my prize sheep. You ever gone to one of those like 4-H club things where they got the blue ribbon animals? Like the one they've been, this is the one. We got all the right stuff. It's gonna be amazing. You ever been to one of those things, by the way? They're fantastic. They give ribbons to pigs. They give ribbons to pigs. It's amazing. This is, and then God's like, yes, your most prized one. That's what, that's the one. Not the one you stepped over in the field on the way here. Not the one that's too dumb to get off his butt and do something, right? The one that had been gimpy from birth. 
And I can, you can just imagine with me the people going, yeah, but it's already, this is, this, I need this one over here for myself, but this one's good enough for God, isn't it? It'll satisfy God. He just says, take one from your flock. It's in my flock. I mean, he gave it to me. Why can't I give it back? As they stepped over it in the field, what's the implication? It's good enough. It's good enough. He says this, cursed is the deceiver who has a male in his flock. Now look at, there's three things happening. Has a male, takes a vow, and then offers something less. So you might go, well, here's the solid solution. Don't make the vow. Okay. Vow to honor God. Okay, if that's the way you live your life. But for those of you who said, I'm gonna honor God with my best, I'm gonna give my best, and we're like, I'm gonna give this other thing instead. I mean, who's gonna know the difference? God says, you are a deceiver and a cheat. You're, 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 you're trying to trick me with your offerings. Why? You offer a blemished animal for sacrifice to the Lord because God says, and we're gonna close with this, I am a great king. I am a great king. And we sing songs and we say words like that, King of, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, worshiped by everyone. We, we often, like in my life, we just say, God is so great and wonderful and perfect and he's everything we're not. And we, we revere him, we talk to talk, and, and then when it comes time to walk to walk, we're like, eh, it's good enough, right? And he's like, no, it's not, because I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. My name is to be feared among the nations. We started this off kind of talking about it's good enough for who it's for. And the question is, well, is it good enough? We used to give out a book here at Family Bible Church called How Good is Good Enough? And it asked that very question. What are you hoping to give God that he's gonna be satisfied with you in this life? What are you hoping that, and your life is all done and you've accomplished everything you can, that you're gonna bring to God in your hands? You're gonna say, well, here it is. It's the best I could do. And the question is, is that going to be good enough? We, we teach some classes here uh, on financial management. One of the things they talk about when you negotiate is to say to someone, that's not good enough. It's not good enough. If you're happy with the deal you're getting, it's not good enough. And what strikes me about this is that at the end of the day with Israel, God's saying to Israel, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. And you go, well, what is it then? What do I have to offer? What do I have to bring? See, the truth is this. We are offering God himself and I want to pivot here. Because with me, you might be thinking, okay, great, the priest for them wasn't good enough. Maybe the pastor staff's not good enough. But for me, what's good enough? And the truth is this, that there is nothing that's going to satisfy God himself but Jesus Christ. That's the truth. This moment in Israel's history when he's like, my name's going to be great among the nations and I'll be proclaimed from the east to the west and I'm going to bless the entire world beyond Israel, through Israel, through my promise to Israel, I'm going to bless everyone. What is it? It's the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Because the offerings aren't good enough. The things we're going to do aren't good enough. The ways we're going to act aren't good enough. And we need someone to rescue us. I want to share a, a scripture from 1 Peter with you. Just two verses. Bring my Bible to cooperate. 1 Peter 2, 5, and 9. You don't have to turn there. I think we can both throw it up on the screens as well. There you go. 1 Peter 2, 5, and 9. This is what the word says. You also 
like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. I told you to come back to that, right? God's purpose for us is to be a holy priesthood. What? Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And if you pick it up in verse 9, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. What is that about? And what does that do with sacrifices? It means that God sent his only son to satisfy the wrath that no animal was going to cure that the tendency we have to offer our second best to God, it, it's, it's never going to be enough no matter what. And, and even the prized pig is not going to be enough to satisfy God. It's not going to happen. The truth is that it's his son, Jesus Christ, that sets us free from sin, that sets us uh, into God's temple and right worship. And, and, and why would I preach this to the church? Because we have to constantly remember that. It's not an excuse to offer our best at all. We ought to rise offering our best to God because he's offered his best for us, right? This is the thing. It's like in a transactional relationship, if someone has paid off everything for you, you're gonna give some appreciation. You're gonna be like, God, thank you so much for that. The truth is that Jesus Christ has offered that we might be free. And indeed, the word, and this is all throughout scripture, but the word says that uh, he made his sacrifice once for all that sins are forgiven, that in the burden, in that tension of not being good enough, God made a way that was perfectly good, and that's in Jesus Christ, his son and our savior. Now, here's the thing. I know some of you hear this and you're like, that's it, I've heard this before. Yeah, so why don't you believe that? Are you scoffing at that? Are you, are you, are you at God's perfect sacrifice for you? Or, or maybe even worse, you don't even think you have a sin problem. You're like, I got this. I'm not like those people. I'm different. I don't think that's supported in Scripture, church. The truth is that we should never, listen to me, we'll never outgrow Jesus Christ. And why would we want to? He is the perfect offering. And the truth is that if we're going to offer our best, we're going to offer it through Jesus Christ. Giving our best to God. Here's the question. Do you fear God? Proverbs says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, right? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Do you fear him? Do you think he's worthy to be worshipped? Is he worthy to be bowed down to? Is he, does he demand a price that we can't pay? What, what are you hoping is going to be good enough for him if it's not Jesus Christ? I'm trying to convince you that there's no sacrifice that will please him except his son. And then what do you do? You receive that gift. You just receive it and you say, praise the Lord. We sing words like hallelujah, hosanna. We join in, in all the angels, the messengers singing God's praises and then we proclaim his good news to other people. It's Jesus that makes a way. We're never, it's never gonna be good enough on our own. I don't know if you know that today. I don't know if you have that relationship with God that you're like, yes, through Jesus. I, you know, that you're maybe, and maybe you've been like doing that, like, well, it's good enough. He'll be happy with that, right? I mean, it's, take my chances here? Why would you do that? I want to encourage you and I want to implore you to believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, but listen to me, for intimacy with God, for right worship in the temple. What does the word say? For holy incense offerings and pure offerings to God. This is why it comes full circle in the church, because if there's anyone in the whole world that should be celebrating God and his holiness and reverence, it should be us. Which one's saying, yeah, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is God. 
Uh, pray with me if you would. Father, we thank you so much for the chance we have to remember your great sacrifice for us. Um, I'm reminded your son taught us that greater love has no one than this, that you would lay down your life for a friend. And, and then we watched as Jesus laid his life down for us. And Lord, there's some of us maybe who have been trying to do it on our own, make it on our own, and say, this is, I'm gonna, it's gonna be good enough. Father, would you teach us in our hearts what you demand? And then Lord, most importantly, would you call us into a, an enduring relationship with your son Jesus that we can know that he meets all those needs, that he satisfies all those sins and, and all that brokenness, that indeed, Father, your love for us was so great that you sent your son to solve the problem that only he could solve. Lord, help us to be faithful to you. Help us to continue to reverence you and worship you and honor you. And Lord, for the parts of our minds and our hearts that have a tendency to turn away or to get bored or, or to you know, just not recognize, would you just call us back, Lord? Would you call us to repentance and to believing again, to a renewed honoring of your holy temple and your, your worthiness in this life? Indeed, would you cause us to elevate you above all else, that we would honor you as a father and we would worship you as a king. May we do this because you've compelled us to do it by your spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen.